Hey everybody, welcome to church. It's good to be with you today in God's house on this Palm Sunday. My name is Chris, the lead pastor here at the church, and we're going to uh, read in our Bibles. If you have them, turn to Luke 19. And while, while we're turning there, I just want to say um, today I was, was walking up the stairs and saw a, um, a whiteboard with a sign um, where our kids' ministry was asking um, desperately for volunteers. And I think I, I, I get it. I think the last couple of years have been really hard. A lot of us got out of the rhythm of church, and now we're just getting back in. And I think when you feel... Um, I think somebody, somebody said this, actually, our Emmanuel pastor on the east side, one of our church plants, said that um, five years ago, like if you were going through what you were going through, people would be bringing you meals, you know, and now everyone's going through the same thing. We've all been through just so much upheaval. Uh, those of you with kids have been, you know, we're stuck with your kids. I know you love them, but, you know, hard stuff, right? Uh, forced to be educators when, you, when you're not an educator, and because of that, I think it's just hard sometimes to get back in the rhythm. And I, I just have a sense that um, if, if we would uh, sense an invitation to step back into sustainable rhythms of service, it would make a huge difference in the life of our church, but also in, in your life. I think that there's a sense in which the Lord is inviting us to let go of, of scarcity, whether that's time and energy, and to begin to, to pull together in some new ways. And so if that resonates with you in any way, or you just think like, oh, it's the right thing to do to serve kids once a month, I just want to encourage you to grab Haley and Millie after the service um, and just say, what does it take for me to get, get involved in this? I think, um, you know, as the poet said, I, I do believe the children are our future. <laughs> Teach, no, I'm done. All right, <laughs> verse 28. After he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethphage, and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's try to see what Jesus and his friends saw on this day. Father, we ask you for grace to um, not just remember a Bible story from 2,000 years ago, Lord, but I pray that you would help us to see that this event in Jesus and his friend's life is actually symbolic also of our own life with you. I pray that we would learn to follow you, that we would learn to follow you even when the road is hard, even when you're taking us places that feel unclear, even when our expectations are all jumbled up. Have mercy on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is the beginning of Holy Week, 
And I just want to say that if you have found the Lenten season to be elusive, you know, I think a lot of people feel like the, the world is Lent, you know, uh, war in Ukraine, and we're, we're just trying to get our feet back under us, and then we drive to the gas station, and fuel is like four and a half dollars a gallon, and we just think, man. So if you felt like you missed it, things are so hard, you didn't want to make them more. We have an opportunity, I think, over the next week to make the most of the end of this season. This is the most significant week in the church calendar. It leads to resurrection. But here's what I have been sitting with and holding in my own life. Oftentimes we're so intent on getting to the happy ending that we don't fully embrace the darkness that leads to joy, life, and hope. And resurrection without suffering in the cross is just hollow and sentimental. It's not as significant as what the Lord would have for us. And I believe that one of the reasons why we as a Western church sometimes have an impoverished faith is that we don't know what to do with pain and suffering and disorientation. And we just try to check out and get to the happy ending. And so if you find that temptation in you, I just wanna say to you that there is good reason to walk with Jesus through the darkness of this week. Uh, the Gospels actually give lots of attention to the last days of Jesus' life. And I would encourage you to sit in those spaces of reading Scripture, to join us on Good Friday, to walk the stations of the cross in our lower parking lot, to enter in as fully as you can. It's never too late. It's never too late to get ready for Easter. We're going to spend the next 50 days, beginning on Sunday, sitting with and reveling in the resurrection. Uh, here, one of, the, one of the reasons I love being Anglican most is that Easter is not one day, it's 50 days. The church in the ancient world called it the great 50 days. So we're going to spend the next 50 days reveling in resurrection. It takes more than one Sunday dressed up in your best clothes to wrap your head around the resurrection, and we're going to prove that here at Trinity. But if resurrection is going to matter, and it should, the empty tomb means everything. I would submit that it is the, uh, the fulcrum on which all of our faith turns is the empty tomb, the resurrection. But if that's going to matter, we have to move toward the cross with Jesus. We have to learn how to follow him into dark places, and that's what we're going to do today. I believe that this story actually speaks of the life of following God, and I hope that we'll be able to see that today as we, as we walk the walk. So we're just going to march through. Number one, the walk from where Jesus and his friends started the day to Jerusalem, where they ended the day, was very intense. Twelve miles. Jericho is where Jesus and his friends woke up on Palm Sunday morning. And Jericho is the lowest city on earth in terms of elevation in the ancient world. Uh, the climb from Jericho to Jerusalem is a 12-mile walk that spans 3,000 feet of elevation gain. So if you've ever done any hiking... Um, a thousand feet of elevation gain will kick your rear end. Three thousand will put you in a whole different headspace. And so we need to imagine what the disciples would have been feeling when they woke up on this day. There had been rumblings of trouble in Jerusalem. Jesus had said, I'm going to Jerusalem. Um, there were allusions to going to Jerusalem to suffer. One of the disciples had recently said, we may as well go there and die with them. Like we, we may as well just put one foot in front of another. And so as they left Jericho and marched up this dusty barren road to Jerusalem, it probably felt fitting to the disciples. This is hard. Bad things are probably waiting for us there. 
And as they're scrambling up the, the dusty road, as they're, as they're navigating heat and drought and difficulty, it probably felt symbolic of where they were. They were thinking this sort of fits. Maybe you're in a space like that right now to where following Jesus just feels really hard maybe for some of us in the room. And it feels like Lent is sort of a fitting space for you because you just think like, yeah, everything feels super hard. The disciples, when they woke up on Palm Sunday, were in that place. They were following Jesus and walking with Jesus down an intense road. But when you get to Bethany, which is where Jesus liked to spend a lot of time, his closest friends outside the disciples lived in Bethany, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. You remember those people in the Bible? This is where Jesus went to hang out. Bethany was about six miles outside Jerusalem. And as you get to the Mount of Olives, Bethphage and Bethany, everything turns a bit green. Where Jericho is dusty and hard, by the time you get here, it's lush, it's pretty, especially in springtime when Jesus would have been walking this road with his friends. And it's no coincidence that the crowd at the bottom was small and the crowd at the top when the grass is green and the sun is shining and the wind is at their back is a big crowd. So throngs of people begin to gather around Jesus in the easy spaces. They, they come to him when the going is a little bit better. And they begin to sing. And the disciples were probably thinking, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. Maybe what we were worried about at the bottom of the hill is really not going to be the thing because after all, people were welcoming Jesus. The second thing we see in this text is not only were they welcoming him, but they were quoting from Psalm 118, the same Psalm that we read from a few minutes ago. They were saying a king is coming. Do you know this is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus is said to have ridden on an animal everywhere else he walks? Jesus does what we have to do in our life with God. He puts one foot in front of another and he walks everywhere he goes. But here he rides. And that journey from Bethany, that, that favorite spot of Jesus, through the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem, um, looks across a place called the Kidron Valley. And I would encourage you today to just Google image search um, Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, and you'll see this view across the Kidron Valley where you can see on a clear day, you can see Jerusalem shining in the sun. It's a beautiful place. And as Jesus goes into this space that's so beautiful, the crowds follow him and they begin to sing from a poem. Now it's ironic that the same psalm that the crowds sing is also the psalm that says the stone that the builders rejected would become the chief cornerstone. It's in the same poem. And that's the great irony of Palm Sunday. I grew up in a charismatic non-denominational church and we were like lit all the time, but super, super lit on Palm Sunday because people brought sticks to church and waved branches. I, I just have these memories as a kid of, it was the only time that people brought like the inside, the outside in and started waving palm branches. Um, I, I grew up thinking that Palm Sunday was like the warm up to the really awesomeness of Easter. But what we see in Psalm 118 is really an, a look into the fickle heart of humans that we would welcome Jesus with one breath and a few days later we would want him dead. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the great darkness. It's the beginning of a road that's hard to walk with Jesus. But my mind is just with these friends of Jesus because they're trying to figure out like, what does this all mean? Like what, 
Is it hard? Is it going to be good? Are we going to have our needs met? Are our expectations going to be met? Are they not going to be met? And as they get to the Kidron Valley and all those people are singing and waving branches, as they're lauding Jesus as a king, they're maybe wondering, maybe we're going to be fine. Maybe this is all going to be okay. But here's the thing that I think about when I think of Palm Sunday and Holy Week. As we try to make sense of the journey up the hill and then the adoring crowds as Jesus enters into Jerusalem where he rides an animal for the first and only time in his life, I believe that there's an invitation for us to consider that there are choices to be made all along the way. That in life, there are spaces that feel hard. There are spaces that feel really good. There are places where we feel clear and hopeful and there are places where we feel concerned and afraid. But the thing that the disciples do as they're juggling all of this confusion is they're keeping company with Jesus. They're walking with him. They were climbing through the dust and they were following him through the meadows. And if you think about your own life and our life with God, I believe it's about learning to tend to doing that life with God. But that invites us to do the third thing that I think we see in this text, which is to face and confront our expectations. The disciples on this day would have had to have been dealing with a kind of like emotional whiplash, like it's going to be bad, it's going to be good. As they get closer, they probably begin to think it's probably going to be bad again. We're told in one of the stories that Jesus goes immediately into Jerusalem and starts turning tables over. They're like, well, there that goes. Their expectations were all over the place, but so, so are yours. Some of us came to faith because God was comforting and affirming and blessing us. And then we don't know sometimes what to do when things are confusing and hard. Some of us came to faith because like an endurance runner, we think I want to suffer well and suffer better than everybody else. And if God wants to bring joy and hope and blessing, we don't know what to do with that either. The thing I love about this story is that in the space of one day, the friends of Jesus are all over the place. And that gives you and me, I think, permission and an invitation to acknowledge where our expectations are sometimes all over the place. And sometimes when our expectations get poured in concrete and then life doesn't work that way, we don't know what to do and we begin to opt out. Y'all, there's a great opting out right now in the church worldwide. It's happening across the world. Because a lot of people came into a season of extended disruption thinking one thing, and then the world just goes to hell in a handbasket, and we become unhooked and think, I don't know what to make of this. I don't know how to navigate this. And it's more than just challenges in places like kids' ministry. It's like a macro expectation where we don't know what in the world is going on most of the time. And more than ever before, we as people feel like we have to be expert in a million areas that we're not expert in. And it's exhausting. You know, if I hand you a 50-pound rock, most of you could hold it for a while, but not forever. And some of you have come into this room feeling like you've been holding weights that you just can't bear forever. And then people wonder why you're not at your best. Because you're tired and you're stressed out and you're angry. 
and you're confused. And just like the disciples walking up that hill, we don't know whether it's supposed to be bad and we're supposed to be tough or it's supposed to be good and we're supposed to be hopeful. And so our heads are just going like this. A lot of us around the world are very disoriented. The world is very disoriented. We don't even know what to believe half the time. And I'm not just talking about faith. We don't even know if what's happening in Ukraine, like there are people, so many qualifiers in the last couple of weeks regarding Ukraine and the atrocities in, in Ukraine regarding Russia is if it's true, then this, this, and this, because people don't even know what to think anymore. We're exhausted. And some of us, maybe many of us, brought a set of expectations into a season and those expectations have been so shattered that we just do not know what to do. So some people are just stepping back and opting out. I think there's a kind of opting out happening across the world. You know, Trinity is about 60% the size that it was on March 1st of 2020. And that's not just because Trinity is worse than your average church. That's just true across the board. I've got friends in West Coast and the East Coast and the Midwest and in the UK that are all experiencing the same stuff. So here's what I want to say to you. If you're here today, there are better things you could be doing. Unlike yesterday, the weather's pretty good today. And you're here for a reason. Maybe you're trying to make sense of faith. Maybe you're trying to stay faithful and climb up that dusty road. And you know that if you don't get some encouragement along the way, you're going you're gonna to opt out. Maybe you feel a sense of hope for the first time in a long time and you want to nurture that hope and you realize instinctively maybe that you can't do it by yourself. See, the world is increasingly tribal and privatized. We just take our thing and we go and do it on our own. And yet many of you are here today because you know somewhere deep inside your bones that that's not going to work for you, that you need encouragement, you need to be together, you need to sing the songs that remind you of something that's true, you need to be told, I need to be told that I can trust the hands of God getting into the soil and that God is breaking new ground in me. I need to be told that. I need to hear that from your voice. That's why the body of Christ is so important. I need to be reminded every day that I can trade in my old flames for new fire. You know, those are biblical pictures, but we tend to forget. In the forgetting though, in the opting out, in the great exodus, I believe that there is a Holy Spirit opportunity. I believe that one of the things God wants to do, not just at Trinity, but in your heart and in the church worldwide, is to clarify what it means to be Christian. This story, in a nutshell, tells us what it means to be Christian. It tells us that you follow Jesus when it's hard, you follow Jesus when it's beautiful, you follow Jesus when you don't know where he's going, you don't do it by yourself. It's about following Jesus. My wife and I lived in England in the late 90s. We had our first child in, in England. And there are really no cultural Christians in England. It's just not cool to be a Christian in England. It doesn't help you get better jobs. Uh, it doesn't make uh, your community standing better. So if you go to church, like you're really doing it because you want to do it. And if there's a gift of pandemic, if there's any kind of like gift in the great opting out, it's that I believe that the day of the cultural Christian in the United States is hastening toward an end. It's less convenient for you to come to church, to follow Jesus. 
And we can bemoan that all we want, or we can say that in that there is some sort of opportunity for us to be more and more clear about who it is that we're dealing with. When I was a kid, there was a, an, a, a toy that I almost bought, but I'm proud that I resisted it. Um, my buddy, is anybody old enough to remember my buddy? My buddy and me, we climb up a tree. My buddy and me, we're the best friends can be. And then like there was this kid dragging this baby doll up into a tree. And it was the closest I ever got to buying a baby doll. And I'm, you know, because I'm 46 years old and I'm a, I'm a male, I have issues with baby dolls for me, not for you, just for me. So I'm proud that I didn't do it. But I wanted to do it. I thought about doing it because I needed a buddy. You know, I was... We were raised by hippie parents, and we were kind of the weird family in the neighborhood. And I played with kids through the fence. I never knew why I was not invited to their yard until later. And I was like, we were kind of a weird family. So I needed a buddy. And I'm not, I'm not endorsing this movie. Please, in Jesus' name. Brad once endorsed Game of Thrones from the pulpit. I'm not endorsing the movie Dogma. But I remember in the movie Dogma, the Catholic Church was rebranding itself and rebranding Jesus in a satirical way where they were like, buddy Jesus, that's what we need. It's time for us to, to reject a buddy Jesus picture. It's time for us to follow him. It's time for us to follow Jesus in a way that will occasionally really cost us something make us look out of step or foolish. And I'm not saying be out of step or foolish for the sake of it. I'm saying follow Jesus. And when he leads you down dusty roads, follow him. When he takes you down beautiful meadows where you can see the, the valley of the city of God, follow him there. But we have to, church, begin to reject this myth that God is a part of our busy life and that he's like a bolt-on that can make us a little better, a little happier, a little more well-adjusted, a little more successful. And we have to begin to recognize that we're a part of God's life. It's not the other way around. I don't get a full life and then get to tack him on. See, when I do that and then it gets weird, I just quit. And I'm not suggesting that everyone who is quitting right now is just been totally out of order on their faith. That, that's not for us to, to guess about even. But what I can say in my own life is the places where I want to know what's going to happen next, to have easy hiking, those are the places where I feel tempted to shrink back and step back. And I wonder if the same is true for you. I believe that as the day of cultural Christianity begins to go away, as the sun begins to set on a kind of Christendom where to be American is synonymous with being Christian, the invitation for us is to say, where are you, Jesus? And how do I walk and step with you in a way that costs me something? And to do that, we have to hold our expectations up. A purely therapeutic, happy gospel is not the whole story. A masochistic, make it as hard as it can be gospel is not the whole story. God wants to invite you into something real and grown up. And the thing that I see in the disciples in this space is that they were walking with Jesus when it was hard and when it was easy. They were walking when they felt they knew and they were walking when they didn't think they knew. Can you see how that might manifest in your own life? 
See, Holy Week is about learning to walk in step with Jesus. It's about learning to sense his closeness and his awareness in a way that maybe you hadn't before. And the reason for that is because when it gets dark, it's really hard to know what in the world is going on. And that leads me to the last thing I want to say. I believe that we are being invited to learn how to walk into dark spaces with Jesus. And there are two temptations, and I experience both on a regular basis. I either try to walk into dark spaces all by myself, masochistic, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. I'm going to the darkness like I'm alone. Or we want to avoid the darkness altogether and live in places of denial where we just pretend like things don't have to be that hard. And what I see in this story is really what I think the Lord wants us to see in our own lives, which is how do I enter into dark places with Jesus? And for me, as I think about expectations, and I think about how disorienting, formed, forged, and hardened expectations are when they're not met, I recognize that when my expectations are, are, are formed in really solid ways and then they're not met, it brings me into a place of disorientation. But as I can open my expectations up, if I can be honest about what do I, what do I think I'm going to get out of this? What do I think is supposed to happen? And then open my hands up, I'm more able to actually be present in the moment. And so much of the pain in our lives results from not being awake and present in the moment. We're always somewhere else. We're somewhere else in our jobs, in our marriages, in our faith. There's a story that an Orthodox priest once told about a man who was incarcerated wrongly and in, in, in imprisoned in a Russian prison. And he was so bitter that some days he would take flight in his imagination and he would go back to the good old days, nostalgia. Other days he would take flight in his imagination and go forward into the future where he was exonerated and he could sort of hold it and take a pound of flesh from those who hurt him, fantasy. Some days he would go back to that fateful day and he would feel the the pain of being dragged out of his home and wrongly accused, regret. Some days he would have fantasized about killing or injuring those who hurt him, anger. And one day he died and in the story he goes to heaven and he stands before God and he looks at God and he accuses God. He says, I rotted away in prison my whole life and you were never there. And Jesus looked at him and said, I came to your cell every day. You were never there. You were always back or forward. You were never there. And I believe that many of us, as we go through the disorientation of life, as we find ourselves just banging against that wall and not knowing what to do with our expectations, not knowing what to do with all the things that we feel, it's tempting to never be right here. What would it look like for you to be present with your pain, with your anger, with your hope, with your friends, with Jesus? What would it look like for us to be here? For better or worse, the disciples had to figure out how to put one foot in front of another and be here with Jesus as they walked up that road. And I believe that for all of us, there is an increasing invitation In the midst of crisis, there is always opportunity. And that gets sort of businessized, you know? 
that you can capitalize off of other people's pain. That's not what I'm talking about. Right now, what I'm talking about is that in the midst of whatever crisis is happening in the world and in you and in me, there is an opportunity for us to become more present to Jesus so that I would begin to see and you would begin to see that my whole life is found in his life rather than the other way around. If you feel cultural Christianity slipping away from you, let it go. If you feel unsure about why you're at church and whether this is doing anything for you, hold that before God and say, maybe there's something dramatically more. Because I just want to tell you, there is something more. This is worth dying for, but more than that, this is worth living for. Next week on Easter Sunday, I'm going to stand up right here in the same place and I'm going to look at you in the face and I'm going to say, you are an Easter person. But today, I say to you, Follow him into the dark. N.T. Wright says this, are we going along for the trip in the hope that Jesus will fulfill some of our hopes and desires? Are we ready to sing a psalm of praise, but only as long as Jesus seems to be doing what we want? The long and dusty pilgrim way of our lives gives most of us plenty of time to sort out our motives for following Jesus in the first place. Are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the road in front of him to do the showy and flamboyant thing, but also now to follow him into trouble, controversy, trial, and death? I think that about sums it up. So here's what I want you to hold for a few moments. We're going to be still for a few minutes and do some reflecting. And I, I, um, I've been told by people... Uh, to stop wearing the hair shirt. So I'm not gonna make any more jokes about my burnout stuff. Um, but here's what I am gonna say in an emphatic way. Let's put that question up. Um, I, I'm going to, we are going to invite you to, to, to deal with the awkwardness of three minutes of silence on a regular basis at this church, because if we don't practice being still and reflective here, we'll never know how to do it out there. And so that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> Thank you for clapping. That makes me really happy because it does feel a little risky because it's uncomfortable to be still. But the reason why we're doing this is I believe that our faith is going to be forged in the pressure out there increasingly. So we gotta learn how to be the kinds of people who learn to be still here and know what's going on. So where are you being invited to follow Jesus into a dark place? And what does it mean for you to be with Jesus in that place rather than going there alone? And I would add, or avoiding it entirely, depending on your personality. I do both. I'm an equal opportunity avoider and martyr. Um, so where are you being invited? Maybe, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the loss of a relationship and you're, you don't know how to go to that dark place. Maybe it's fear around a job or a health question, or maybe it's just questions around your faith. I know that some of you feel like you're losing your faith in this room right now. And that's not me being like spooky, prophetic. I just know that's true. Some of you, it took everything you had just to come through the door. What would it look like for you to go there, wherever there is for you, 
and believe Jesus is with you there rather than alone or avoiding. So we're going to be quiet for a few moments, and then we're going to come to communion together. But let's be still first. we're able to do so, let's stand together. <clears throat> 